Welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by Inform Millennial, Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. It is Saturday, April 18th, 2020. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. And today we have two very special guests with us. We have Karen Middleton, president of Cobalt, and Justine Sandoval, statewide engagement manager for Cobalt, which is a nonprofit here in Colorado that focuses on reproductive rights and reproductive health, which is a topic that is sort of overlooked in everything else that's going on now. Uh, hi, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Thank you so much for having us today. And uh, if you guys wouldn't mind sort of introducing yourselves and, and what you do and what Cobalt is all about, that would be, that would be awesome. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, so this is Karen, and I have been running this organization for, it'll be seven years in April, which is hard to believe. But Cobalt, you might know us in our former life. We were NARAL Pro-Choice Colorado. And before that, we actually started out in 1967, the same year that Colorado decriminalized abortion. So we really have been leaders in the state of Colorado uh, all the way around in believing that uh, reproductive rights and abortion should be um, out of the hands of government. And so our little organization started way back then. And then we launched in January as Cobalt in an effort to really recenter our work back here in Colorado to be very um, specifically focused on the state and to really focus on protecting access to abortion rights and uh, expanding reproductive rights statewide. So that's kind of the nuts and bolts of what we do. Um, and we do that in a bunch of different ways. We do advocacy, we do education and outreach, we offer member activities, we uh, lobby at the Capitol, we work on proactive legislation, and we help uh, make sure anyone who's interested understands who who is running for office, if they're on the ballot, and if they are supporting reproductive rights. And so that's us in a nutshell. And Justine, why don't I pass the baton? Yeah, um, my name is Justine Sandoval. I've been with Cobalt actually six years this year. Um, so it's been an honor to work with Karen and was able to come on as part of um, the staff and have had several different roles with the organization. Um, but currently I'm doing statewide engagement. Um, so it's been really great just being able to travel around the state and talk to people about the issue of reproductive rights. And the more I've traveled, the I realize that this is a nonpartisan issue in this state. It's something that's important to the majority of Coloradans. Um, so a lot of my background was coming from campaign work and coming in to do this work was really exciting. Um, I had never really done work like this, but once I started doing it, I saw the insane need. And I really saw that the reason why we've been great on a lot of reproductive issues here in Colorado is because there's an amazing coalition of people who are working really hard. So it's been great to be a part of um, that work and to be able to protect access here in Colorado. Yeah, you know, and one of the things that I, if you uh, hear me in a room speaking to people about who I am and what I do, the first thing I almost always say is, if you had told me 10 years ago that I'd be leading a reproductive rights organization at this point in our history and at this stage of my career, I really wouldn't have believed you because before I did this, I was a state legislator. Um, I served uh, between 2008 through 2010, and then I went on to run Emerge America, which was uh, based 
based in California at the time and is a national organization that trains Democratic women to run for office. So I took some of the lessons from Colorado and brought it to the national level. But I'll tell you, in those uh, sessions, we hardly ever saw uh, reproductive rights bills uh, as a big fight. We didn't see the volume of legislation. We didn't see the tone and the tenor of the bills and the policies that we see now. So um, there, there's, there's really been a marked change in the last decade, um, which I think is important to know. And then the other thing is that having uh, been in office, having seen how folks uh, around the country think about abortion rights and reproductive rights, I really saw that Colorado um, really has a different perspective. We we have that Western values, keep government out of my business. And now, granted, if we're um, having a meeting in Alamosa or Fort Collins or out in uh, Durango, we may talk about it just a little bit differently, but that same spirit of government out of my business has been pretty consistent no matter what part of Colorado I'm in. And it's very unique to our state, I think. It's something that um, we have an even uh, stronger sense of this is a fundamental right and you shouldn't be involved in it. Um, the, the other thing that's really unique about Colorado is we are the only state that has defeated uh, personhood at the ballot three times in the last 10 years or so, in 20, 2008, 2010, and 2014. And again, so thinking about that, started, what we did starting out in 1967 and how we feel today has not changed much, even though Colorado has grown and changed in recent years. I also think it's interesting that we were the sort of uh, pilot state for the idea of free IUDs and how that had such bipartisan support in our state. Um, there's like a Republican lawmaker walking around wearing like an IUD pin, right? Um, and how we do sort of take a different perspective, I think, in our state around we can believe in abortion rights for very different reasons, right, across ideological uh, lanes. but. There does seem to me that there is just sort of bipartisan support in general for the idea of birth control and the idea of uh, bodily autonomy. Absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, and it's not just a Colorado thing. I think when you see national polls, um, really this, this issue is always framed as sort of a, the good old partisan 50-50 tug of war. And in reality, that's not so much the case. You have a a smaller group that has such outside influence, obviously because of partisan politics. But you know, it is not a radical idea that uh, for even polling overall a woman's right to choose, let alone uh, rights to contraception and reproductive health care, these are pretty universally supported ideas and yet we're in the fight of our lives just to keep them despite the overwhelming majorities of the public being on our side as far as issue polling goes. That is correct. And you know, nationwide, there's been polling that says seven in 10 believe in the fundamental uh, decision around Roe v. Wade. Um, and that number is even higher here. And you're right. When I call out Colorado as unique, though, I think that we have a part of it is that I see um, we are more um, secular. We are not um, in terms of uh, other parts of the country and state. I grew up in Massachusetts, where arguably there is a much stronger role. Um, public role of the church in attempting to influence politics, although it's a uh, arguably uh, liberal state. They've had Republican governors on and off for years now. 
So I think it's, um, but I think here I always felt like it was a stronger, stronger and broader view and more bipartisan than in some states. But I would say by and large, people support this and in Colorado, they support it in a particular way, which I probably don't um, define accurate as accurately as I could. But I think, I don't know, Justine, if you can add to that, but I think there's just something unique about Colorado voters. I, I, I'll just give you an example. I was walking um, doors a few years ago around the last ballot measure, and I had someone who had been a Republican elected official answer the door and say, well, of course I'm voting no on this, and so is my spouse, and we've always believed in this, but these are people who are active, had been elected officials, had been very active in their party. Um, I, I have a suspicion that that's unique to Colorado. Yeah, I think in my experience traveling throughout the state and talking to people from all over the place, Colorado is very pro-choice. And it's kind of like that libertarian whole thing, like mm -hmm. don't tell people what to do with their bodies, but don't take away my guns type thing. Let me um, pot if I want to, like, yeah. Totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we see a lot of that. And I think that um, once we have conversations too with people who might be on the fence and we talk about things like the LARC program, which provided the long acting reversible contraception in Colorado, and we talk about the benefits from that, um, how it really you know, made Colorado a leader in accessing those type of services and what can happen if you provide them for free. Once you tell people about those things, they're more likely to jump on board too with the issue because it's about you know the when you want kids how many you want who you want them with being able to afford them it's the whole gamut and when we have that conversation with coloradans they really get it and so i think that's been really useful for us to have those conversations and meet people and realize that people are very pro-choice in this state well and i think it's always been such a disingenuous argument right that um abortions are you know, killing babies and we want less abortions. And so we provide this alternative, which says we'll just stick an IUD in a bunch of teenagers, essentially, right? Um, and it lowered the uh, teen pregnancy rate by like 40%, if I'm remembering correctly. Yep, 42%. Um, yeah, and so then, then the argument around like abortions are bad, but also I don't want this other thing that prevents abortions is such a disingenuous argument. Yeah. And I... I guess I feel heartened by the idea that like even people who hate abortions can come around to this idea that like this is going to prevent a lot of them. Yes. Well, and it's interesting because the misinformation, I mean, fundamentally, this is not about access to abortion. It is um, it is really around gender autonomy and rights. Um, traditionally, it's been an attack on uh, women's rights, um, although we know we support, um, you know, people can get pregnant regardless of there's some differences in gender identity and we have a broader Think, uh, broader thinking on that these days. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, in my mind, this there's this conservative belief that we should be um, in the kitchen, you know, right. not working, home, no birth control, no abortion. So when you offer contraception, uh, you get pushback. When you offer IUDs, uh, we had uh, a prominent state senator on the Republican side talking about them being um, mini abortion clinics inside a woman's uterus. I mean, there's it, it's it's right. sort of nonsensical stuff, but it, it is consistently nonsensical, and that's the part that's so frustrating. 
frustrating. And, you know, the other thing is the sex, sex education, right? Even access to the information, um, access to the services and the choice to access those services are sort of the three things that, that we really see. And there's such a disinformation campaign out there. And that's something we've been doing a lot of work on because they're trying to actually, when I say they, this, this vocal um, minority view, they are trying to shut down people's ability to have the information to make the decisions, the access to the services, um, and to say you shouldn't have this ability to make this decision. And, and sort of across that spectrum, it's it's just ter- it's been a terrible precedent, and it's one that we need to continue to undo. There's also this passion uh, issue. What we hear is on the conservative side, this is one of the top issues, right? They will go to bat 365 days a year. They are focused on this issue. Oh, if you look at per- yeah. Progressives, we're like, ah, oh, we got a whole bunch of things, right? We've got these six or seven issues, and choice is somewhere in there. And didn't we solve that one already? Can right. I kind of put that aside? Right. Because truly, we all we want to, you know, we all want economic justice. We want healthcare. We want climate justice. We have all of these issues to contend with. And so I think the idea of protecting reproductive rights can get lost in the shuffle a bit um, when you have a whole list of things you want to fight. And I think that intensity is something that we are constantly grappling with. I think I totally agree with you completely. Um, I also think we talk on this podcast a lot about how the right uh, of reproductive rights and reproductive justice in general, um, when you really drill down, it's really about controlling women's sexuality, right? Like that's really where the heart of the argument lies. Because if it was just about abortion, then there would be things like sex education and there would be things like contraception. Those Mm -hmm. would be things that they would champion as a way to reduce the number of abortions. But that's not the case. And I think that that really just comes down to this sort of weird puritanical thing we have about just like you said we should all be in kitchens and not working and pregnant and any control and control it's just about controlling women um and that's sort of how i come down on that on that topic i it's a good segue because i lived in texas when a lot of those abstinent abstinence only laws were uh, shoved into effect and I saw firsthand the disastrous effect it had with unwanted pregnancies and rates of STIs just kind of going through the roof there. And, you know, because it's Texas and the way it's aligned, there was not a lot of um, pushback because of that. And and now, you know, Texas is sort of ground zero for them trying to use the coronavirus as an excuse to, to push more anti-choice legislation. And, and so I, I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit, what you see happening outside of Colorado and other states and anything we can do as Coloradans to, to spread the word for, you know, people who are unfortunately not stuck in, who are stuck in not such a, a state with such progressive ideas and laws around reproductive rights. Justine, why don't you uh, lead off on that, and I'm happy to chime in. Yeah, so it's interesting when we saw a lot of the Texas laws go into effect, um, people in Texas still access abortion in Colorado. So our work here has been very important as a place for people to be able to come and access that service. I mean, the difficulty, though, is getting to Colorado. And so we've also been able to, through our abortion fund, help with some practical support things around that. But um, 
So Colorado really, really sees the effects as the nation puts these bans in effect around us. We essentially become the place where people are going to access abortion. And so it's even more important here in Colorado. And then, you know, um, supporting, you know, uh, reproductive rights and access, not just to abortion, but being able to access as a services. In Texas, we saw uh, maternal mortality rates through the roof uh, during those these bans. So this is an issue that goes across the board and affecting people's health and their access. Well, and Texas is the only one that uh, that has <clears throat> pushed all pushed the decision all the way to the Supreme Court. But you saw this go um, in several other states that they were trying to do this. And what what we see in our analysis is that this is the same folks that will work to end abortion access no matter what, and they will use any means necessary to do it. Um, and there are um, two things that we see. One is that there is another, you know, there's a ballot measure attempt here in Colorado that uh, they're not on the ballot. They uh, fell short on signatures and they have an opportunity to cure, but they are essentially gaming the system through this period because they're going to try to put it over the finish line no matter what. Now, imagine for a moment what people who are facing um, unprecedented job loss and economic instability, uh, if they find themselves with an un un unintended pregnancy and need to access abortion care, and we are saying, no, this is a good time for us to shut it down. I mean, it's just sort of the worst possible timing, and we yeah. see this kind of calculating, um, we're going to do this no matter what kind of sense all, what all across the country. What is their argument? It's sort of like this crazy, like, it's it's unsafe to have an abortion because of COVID because of social distancing. Is that what they're trying to argue? The argument that I've gathered from some of my work looking into the antis is that they're claiming that it takes away from other medical services and that they'll use up too many masks or materials. Oh, you got to be kidding me. But th these are yeah. abortion clinics. We're not having ventilators and medical treatments and abortion clinics that doesn't make any sense right like we're not yeah. people don't go to an abortion clinic because they have covid how many doctors and nurses do they think it takes for a for a simple abortion procedure <laughs> well, what about Hundreds? medication abortions right exactly Those don't exactly. require literally any contact Exactly. And that's been part of their lie and their narrative for a long time, though, that abortion is unsafe. But we know that that is true. Um, and that, you know, there all the issues with them trying to require admitting privileges to hospitals. So they've been using this lie for a long time and using that false narrative that abortion is unsafe. Yeah, it's, so, it's very damaging. Is that, is that what? Sorry, are they trying to, like, convert abortion doctors and nurses to go work in the ER, like, I, it just doesn't track. It doesn't make it, any sense to me. And not only does it not track, but but this is where if you um, if you really lift the curtain, they're, they want to end abortion no matter what, and they will do it by any means necessary. And they really do not care what's happening to that person so long as the pregnancy continues. And we see this pattern through the anti-abortion counseling center work that we've been tracking, um, that they will, that those centers are designed to mislead someone to delay or prevent them from accessing abortion care. So if COVID-19 is a much cleaner way 
for them to do that, they consider that a victory because they have. There's not a lot of rationality in the argument. It is they feel like that they are on a um, a mission, and it's a it's a zealot-driven mission that that they will do this no matter what, and that's the part that's so dangerous because. Yeah. You know, and, and they you don't mentioned, know the And you mentioned by any means, uh, you know, Rachel and I often have this debate about the Supreme Court and, you know, whether Kavanaugh will effectively overturn uh, Roe v. Wade or, or, you know, once and for all do it. And that kind of when we get into those debates, we kind of miss that, well, they're doing all these other things that effectively de facto yeah. Um, Death by a million cuts. Yeah, and, and Roe v. Wade, that they're, and they're ceaseless. They happen all the time. They happen during a pandemic. They happen, you know, right, right after they get crushed in an election. It doesn't matter when. But on Any the other excuse, hand, we, right? we, we do have some big cases coming up before the Supreme Court that could really shake things up. And I was wondering, you know, how, how have you guys been monitoring those and your thoughts on those and sort of what to look for and, and then what to do if the Supreme Court, does, the Kavanaugh Supreme Court, does go as far as to, you know, once and for all, and Roe v. Wade, yeah. Well, we're, I mean, I've, I've got to say that we're extremely concerned, and we have been monitoring it. We have been following the analysis. There is a great uh, great, if not a terrifying map of what if Roe fell. I think if you Google that, you can find it. The Center for Reproductive Rights maintains that. And it really shows you that if if this decision comes down and they effectively eliminate um, Roe from our books, that there are triggers, trigger law states, meaning the state has already passed an abortion ban, that if the Supreme Court creates a more favorable space for them, that they end abortion access the next day. That is not the case here in Colorado, although we are in a we're sort of in a legally neutral position. We don't have restrictions on abortion and we don't have affirmative protection on abortion. So we're in a bit of a neutral state, which is, you know, kind of follows our Western, that mm -hmm. Western theme and libertarianism, but it means that we're a place that someone could come to access an abortion. But what I actually think will, it will look like is what you're seeing right now, where, you know, from one day to the next, abortion access is gone. There's a story of a woman who had to come here to Colorado to access care and kind of what it did to her life in that week and two weeks when she had to figure out how to get here. And mind you, she had the money to do it. Um, and really people of color, um, poor people, people with um, with income disparities are already unable to access abortion or see the barriers as so great that they're not um, able to really see reproductive rights as a choice to them all right now. And the economic impact that this will have, I think just makes it that much harder. So as Justine mentioned, we do have an abortion fund that we're expecting to see um, more people coming to the state and we're going to have to do more navigation, meaning we're helping them figure out how to get here. Uh, can we get them into Southern Colorado? Can we get them in through Kansas? Can they come down from Wyoming? That sort of thing, um, which is, you know, really heartbreaking because imagine any other medical procedure that you would need and the fact that you would need to go find another place to do it. It's just, it's hard to believe that that's where we are, but that's where we're, we think that that's where we will be um, come June. Wow. I can't imagine, right? You're already under, like, under normal circumstances, right? You find yourself with an unintended pregnancy. It's terrifying. It's heartbreaking. 
um, you have to figure out what to do. And then you throw this pandemic on top of it and you have to travel now. It was already gonna be hard to travel under normal circumstances, but now you have to find a place out of state to go to try to safely travel to get this medical procedure. It's, I, it's, it's monstrous. There's um, there's a study that came out last year that really shows that if so, you know, the thing that people always, they always act as if you've shown up at an abortion clinic, but you're still not really sure. Gosh, you don't yeah, know. Right. You know, by the time you've gotten to a clinic or made that appointment, you know that that is what you you want, and there's this no there there's a narrative that the antis mount that says that we somehow don't know, and if we just had a little more information, if we just had the ultrasound, if we just had, uh, they they have a fake law on. Uh, stopping medication abortion by right. uh, changing the medication in the middle, which, by the way, they started to do research on that after states passed it and figured out that it actually really puts women's lives at risk and they had to stop the the study. But, you know, that, that kind of um, consent conversation is also one of the narratives that you hear that, you know, oh, little lady, you just didn't think about it hard enough. If I gave you a free car seat, would you uh, change your mind? Right. <laughs> right. It's this idea that women don't know anything, that we aren't incapable of thinking things through, that you think I really haven't already thought this through, that I haven't already agonized over this decision. That you're taking decision, this lightly. That I've just decided one Flip day, coin, ah, maybe. fuck it, I'm just going to go have an abortion. Like, that's not how it works. I just, <laughs> in my experience, in my life, I have gone many of my friends through abortions, and none of them we're ever just like, I'm not sure. I'm just going to go to the clinic and we'll see. Like, that's not how. <laughs> see like, how I feel when I get there. I'll yeah. see how I feel when I get there. Maybe if I see an ultrasound, maybe I'll have a baby. Like, that's just not a reality that if you've ever known a woman makes any sense. <laughs> like, have you right. met women? <laughs> well, and then, and just, and I'd love for Justine to, to share a little bit about what we see that some of the antis the, around um, putting forward false information and how that false information narrative, it's the decrying mainstream media narrative you see in other areas, really falls into this. But um, we see that it's the same cast of characters who are putting forward these false narratives, whether it's everyone really wants that baby and no one really wants that abortion, all the way to uh, whether vaccines are something we should be um, interested in. Yeah, that, I, I would yeah. talk about that. I sure, would love to hear about yeah. that crossover because I have tracked the anti-vaxxer movement for at least the last 10 years and that crossover is interesting. I would love oh, to hear more about yeah. that. They are hijacking our language, um, like crazy pro-choice language. And it's been very interesting. And a lot of the work that I've done, I've one of my side hobbies is hunting down white supremacists and tracking them in Colorado. Oh my God, <laughs> I love you. Yeah. <laughs> and it actually started, we were doing a protest outside with Planned Parenthood outside of a Cory Gardner event. Um, when Walker Stapleton was running for governor and a man leaving uh, just pulled up to our protest and screamed Sig Heil at me Jesus. and sped off. So I chased him down, got his license plates, ended up finding out who the guy was. He was a member of the Jeffco Republican Party. <laughs> oh uh, my God. Was. But <laughs> he actually, so 
I, I don't think that he actually, I think he was just an old man trying to be provocative, but that uncovered a whole world for me of this connection of these white supremacist groups in Colorado with the anti-vaxxers, with the anti-abortion people, with the gun rights people and these fringe groups. Um, you know, I people is what you're saying. Exactly. They are the same people and they're fighting these same fringe issues together to them, like anti-abortion and anti-vaxxing. Um, so like I've seen Proud Boys, I've seen the Proud Boys at the anti-abortion rallies, three percenters, a lot of them, you'll see these groups there and they're all working together. So, I mean, that's really hard for me to track, right? Like how does being a Proud Boy make you care about vaccinations or abortions? Like, I don't get the, I don't get it. Well, being like the worst person. What you'll find is you dig into a lot of the ideology of some of these white supremacist groups, and they really, really believe that the white race is being exterminated right. and they are so anti-abortion because they are trying to replenish the white race oh my god so yeah and this is a conversation and, but then anti-vaxxing you're just gonna kill white babies right <laughs> how does that what how does that work the logic is not there with these people definitely so no they, they didn't think through what they're doing unlike the woman on the way to the abortion clinic who right did right is the problem okay yes or, so, i found it kind of using they were all at these rallies because they were upset you know this weekend that they're being told what to do with their bodies to stay home right. <laughs> but yeah that's what spend their whole time doing is telling women what they should do with their bodies this idea though this notion of like hijacking our language around the pro-choice movement i've also found in the black lives matter movement that there's this yes. weird thing about like black lives matter so black women shouldn't have abortions is a thing yeah Oh my gosh, we, so in my six years, I've heard a lot of testimony for these anti-choice bills that we have come up every year in the state legislature, and they constantly bring up the conversation of connecting abortion to slavery. What? Wait, <laughs> yeah, and that, no, that's forced that, motherhood. Well, and the idea too, for birth, and the idea too that, uh, or their argument too is that you're not considering a fetus a full person, just like during slavery, slaves are considered a full person. Oh, you're kidding me. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, that stuff started a lot with Michelle Bachman, oh, and now Diamond no. and Silk have taken up that mantle. Are you fucking kidding me with this? Yeah. Three, mm -hmm. five, five per, oh man, no, 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 I can't, no. Guaranteed that they go up there and they do testimony, they testify that that is an argument against abortion for them, that My it kills black lives, and they've hijacked the Black Lives Matter um, and all of those things. I've seen students have sent me flyers of anti-choice groups, and it's usually the anti-abortion um, counseling centers that are putting stuff out like that, and they'll put up flyers around campus that say Black Lives Matter, and they're all anti-abortion propaganda. It's pretty remarkable. That's horrifyingly awful. I don't, I don't, I, uh, okay. Well, and one thing to think about is that if if they have <clears throat> if they come out cross issue for each other's stuff, they always look like there's more of them than there actually are. And that's the other thing that I find is that I see the same cast of characters. And look at our president; he dog whistles this stuff constantly, right? I. Um, when I heard State of the Union a year ago, that was all about abortion later and pregnancy really 
led us to know that that was going to be part of his reelection and that for us to try to do anything other than just defend and wait him out uh, was going to be difficult because he is whipping up his base as he's doing it now in a great new way this weekend. Um, but I feel like this um, fight against abortion, he he's he takes whatever will uh, sort of tar micro target his supporters and throws it and throws it and throws it until they respond. And I think that's the thing that's so uh, distressing to me. I mean, the idea that they want to ban abortion later in pregnancy in during an election year when they're trying to reelect uh, Cory Gardner and trying to maintain this president tells you that they believe that this will somehow help their case. Um, well, we I, we I disagree. Think it, I think it tell, tells me they're desperate. Right. But they, I mean, they're right in terms of their base, right? This yeah. is the one issue, as you were saying earlier, that their base will get behind and they will mm -hmm. protest and they will go out and they will vote and they will go to rallies. Like abortion remains for the ultra right, that issue that they come together on and that they feel so passionately about. Yeah, and I think yeah. they're emboldened right now because they have a president who is saying these things and backing them up and putting it into the mainstream and making them feel like somebody's validating their opinion. You know, mm -hmm. Trump is showing up to the rallies in D.C. and or Pence addressed them. So I think that they there's this level of confidence that they have right now um, because of who the leadership is in the country. Yeah, they're always confident no matter what. Yeah. No, but I, I agree with you. I think it's the same thing about the resurgence of like just openly white supremacist people coming out with no like hoods anymore because they don't need them because yeah. the president is one so it's just like who cares i can just right. exactly. exist in public yeah i agree well and one of <clears throat> so go ahead just a minute about um colorado is one of the states that does perform abortions later in pregnancy mm -hmm. um something that i'm very proud of um can you talk for just a second about what does that mean and the way that they talk about it like what do they say um late term abortion. late term abortion yeah, like you're just, just ripping a, a baby thing. out of a woman and killing it sort right. of this weird narrative that's floating around which is obviously not true right Yes. Um, so abortion later in pregnancy is um, it is an issue that if you don't if you what they are trying to do is frame it as if it is some sort of a, uh, a reasonable conversation. And what I would tell you is that it is an abortion ban, um, whether it is a 22-week ban or X-week ban, they are still trying to just limit care. What we see is people who need abortion later in pregnancy usually need them for one of a few reasons. Um, one is there is something terribly wrong with the fetus that it will um, not survive. It will, uh, there could be harm if the pregnancy is continued. The second reason is around the um, the parent, that there is something wrong. There could be uh, a life-threatening illness, uh, high blood pressure, who knows, something that will prevent them from carrying the pregnancy. And the third is barriers. So there's some barrier that has prevented them from getting um, an abortion earlier in pregnancy. Uh, that could be that they have to go across six states to find a clinic that can serve them, or they have to put together enough money for this care, which is what these bans across the country are starting to do now. Um, we do uh, 
you know, statistically, um, abortions are primarily uh, taking place in the first trimester, 89% or so. So we're not talking about, um, this is not something that people are just willy-nilly deciding, um, but there are lots of really good reasons why people who need that care should have to have it. Um, one of the stories I always tell is I've got a friend who born and raised in Colorado, moved to Texas, got married, was pregnant, had a trisomy diagnosis, incompatible with a successful pregnancy and birth. And on top of that tragedy of a wanted pregnancy, newly married, she had to fly to Colorado to terminate that pregnancy, which was you know, sometime after the ultrasound at 20 weeks. So it was probably within that 22 week window. I mean, that is not a decision that I want to put myself between the patient and the physician and the partner. It's really not in my mind, that's not my call and it shouldn't be anyone else's either, which is why I believe that when we talk about why abortion later in pregnancy takes place, that people have to really, uh, look into themselves and think, I would not want someone making that decision for me. Now, if you have a pregnancy that you know is not going to be successful, there's nothing to say you can't continue. But to say you must carry it is devastating for anyone who has lost a pregnancy and had to wait until they could have a procedure to um, to end it. It's just, it's dreadful. So well, you don't want to be... Yeah, it goes back to this idea that like, oh, I just got... 20 weeks into my pregnancy and decided I didn't feel like being pregnant anymore. Like, that's not what we're talking about. Again, like, have you met women? This is almost all of the time a wanted pregnancy, right? Or a pregnancy that wasn't wanted but was unable to be terminated because of bullshit laws. But this idea that women just aren't thinking about it, that they're just like, you know what? I woke up this morning and decided I don't really feel like being pregnant anymore and I don't want to have a baby. And I waited 20 weeks to do that. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about medical reasons that women need to end pregnancy later. And I'm with you, like, there's no way that if I was in that situation, I would want some law saying that I had to carry an unviable pregnancy. Well, that's her. really in the last years where we've really gotten into the Looney Tunes stuff with the carrying an unviable pregnancy to term. And then what state was it where they were trying to say that you can fix an ectopic pregnancy? Mm -hmm. I think it was Ohio mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and, and these Republican state legislators are, are trying to get away with it. And it, it really is not. And again, it goes back to, well, where is the logic in that? It's a deep seated, deep rooted misogyny, right? Right. We believe mm -hmm. it yeah. because we don't trust women. Right. Well, they don't trust women, but then they don't know what they're talking about. So um, I love the mandatory ultrasound laws where, you know, we had a hearing here where one of the uh, one of the expert witnesses talked about the fact that his horse had an ultrasound and he didn't need to give a consent. I kid you not. Yes, that was part of the testimony. And then one of the senators at the time, Dr. Irene Aguilar, who was wearing her white coat, it was perfect, started talking about the only full reliable form of, of birth control was a an 
oophrectomy, which is removal of the testicles. And she said that, and everyone, <laughs> all the men in the room, like, took a step back in their chair, like, oof, just even hearing about it. But they honestly didn't know the science that they they think of the jelly on the belly ultrasound like you see on primetime TV and don't really understand that a transvaginal ultrasound wand is about eight inches long. My, one of my favorite things is using that in press events and really showing the visual of you are asking someone to put this inside of my body because of your state requirement and you don't even know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that kind of not understanding where they they say a surgical abortion means I'm actually having surgery and therefore we shouldn't be doing surgical procedures during COVID. It's not how it works. And the lack of understanding of anatomy and biology is somewhat um, stunning. stunning. I'm so glad you brought up transvaginal ultrasounds because you probably remember a few years back, they were trying to push this in Virginia. And I had some friends there on the front lines of that battle. And them going so far and pushing this really enlisted a, a unleashed a backlash which may have turned Virginia blue permanently. And I know there's other factors there at play in Virginia with demographic changes and stuff, but they really paid the price for that. And so sometimes, you know, they bite off more than they can chew with this stuff and and you know, the hope is they women will rise up and well meaning men, as few of us it seems there are. Um, and and really make them pay the price for, for going too far with this insanity. I've had a transvaginal ultrasound multiple times because I have endometriosis, and it is not a comfortable thing um, at all. It's very mm-hmm. weird, and especially, you know, I mean, it's just not fun. Um, I can't imagine being forced to do something like that. Completely, medically completely unnecessarily. Medically unnecessary. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's, yeah. Yeah. And what we've seen in like this legislation for these forced ultrasounds, it's the same across the country. It's model legislation from groups like Americans United for Life, who basically send in Mad Libs and they fill in, you know, their name and their district and run this legislation state by state. So luckily in Colorado, we've been able to keep all those away, but we're one bad election from that not being the reality here too. So we've got to always remember how important that is to keep leadership who are going to, you know, fight these types of weird laws that they're trying to pass all over the country. I think it's interesting how after the Trump presidency, my longstanding argument that local elections matter has gained some traction. (laughs) <laughs> because I, I never thought I'd be like a states' rights activist, um, but I find myself squarely in that camp, uh, and and because I do feel protected, right, by my bright blue state where every office, essentially every branch of government, is controlled by Democrats. I feel very protected from the federal government in a way that I feel very lucky for. Um, exactly to all of these points like this is the time when like let's not let that slip like your state rep your city council Mm -hmm. your state senators like your governor these are these are all vital to protecting things like reproductive rights well and the other so i would um the other area that I would mention, and uh, Justine has been on the front line on some of this, is our anti-abortion counseling centers and the role they play in organizing and in recruiting and pushing 
in some of these local uh, races. So we uncovered in Boulder that there was a, not only is there an anti-abortion counseling center uh, misleading people because it's similarly named to a real clinic and bringing people in, but they also then go into classrooms and teach sex ed, quite quote. Um, so they were doing abstinence only education and they actually uh, let the reporter know that they would speak in about a hundred classrooms a year. So think about that. A hundred class. And they were getting in at the school level instead of, uh, so if, if the, the, district was offering a comprehensive sex ed curriculum at the school level, someone's friend was bringing in the local speaker who sometimes brought honoraria, they sometimes brought, they brought benefits to the school building. So so we see that, but those counseling centers um, are really um, trying to reach young people before they understand what information is available. And we've, um, we've really been fighting uh, Greeley, the resource center up in Greeley. And Justine, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? I know you've, um, you can share some yeah. of cover stuff. Yeah, definitely. And Greeley is a really interesting case. Um, they built their health clinic or women's resource center is what they called it, right across the street from the campus women's resource center. Mm-hmm. So and getting people to go in. Um, interesting so about the sex ed bill. Right? You might yeah. go into the wrong oh, yeah. building because it's right next to it. Oh, yes. God. Absolutely. Oh. And they have a sign that advertises free services. So, you know, you're confused, you're worried, and you're going to try to access care from a Planned Parenthood, and right next door to it is a place called you know, alternatives that looks like, or they're, that's, you know, branded like a Planned Parenthood, you get confused and they're able to get you in there, give you misinformation, convince you not to have an abortion. Right. And, and sometimes also, they lie to you sometimes, right? About how far along in your pregnancy you are so that uh, yes. their hope is to There's tell you your of that. <laughs> yeah. Will you explain that? Yes. Yes. Several, case, several cases of that. In fact, there was one in New York that was pretty notorious where they were lying to the person and kept telling her she wasn't as far as long as she was. And by the time she finally got to a um, real doctor, she was past the, the point in New York state where she could access an abortion. But they do that constantly. Um, the light of people. And these are people who aren't medical professionals, which is scary because they're giving you a transvaginal ultrasound. And it's basically just, you know, you and I could go on eBay and buy a machine and start our own pregnancy center. And to me, that's like so alarming because even people who aren't trying to access an abortion and they're, you know, pregnant and they want to be pregnant, they need to see a real doctor. And that's the issue. These people are not doctors. But we have seen they have got like a lot of people who are registered nurses and they've been able to get some of these anti-choice people to legitimize their clinics. Um, So that's been another obstacle we've come up against. And, And you know, how we talk against this. We just we just think it's there is no law. There's no regulation. Basically, the lady that my nails needs the license, but these people are completely unlicensed and unregulated. The Supreme Court, uh, right before Justice Kennedy stepped down, which created the opportunity for uh, Kavanaugh to come in, there was a ruling, NIFLA 
v becerra which tested the idea of regulating uh these anti-abortion counseling centers in california and we were waiting for that legal decision before figuring out if we should try to regulate them here in Colorado. And essentially the Supreme Court said that if they um, are operating um, under, if they basically have First Amendment rights and religious freedom are you to, kidding me? to do whatever they want. <laughs> and most of doctors. them- That's unbelievable. Yeah, they, Go ahead. Yeah, they and so uh, the NIFLA is a network of uh, of these clinics, and but we you go and look at who's funding them. They're almost fun, almost always funded by religious organizations. They operate in a network, and then they have national conferences. So one of my favorites was seeing a screenshot of one of their keynotes saying that you want to help them, but not too much because that's not your job. So the idea of the car seats and the diapers that that. That is not their primary role. Their primary role is counseling people out of abortion uh, as an option. And so in Greeley, they ha their site is called Tests for Greeley. So we had one of our organizers actually built out a website for us called Truth for Greeley, and we exposed them in the media. We used a website that had similar look and feel, which of course they copycatted off of the UNC site. Mm -hmm. um, and then they, uh, they filed a complaint against us uh, and oh, basically the uh, the they wanted to yeah. legally make us change our name and we won that case re just very recently. Uh, so we, uh, and they do this all the time, right? If you look up uh, right. Alliance Defending Freedom, anytime someone goes to a campus to uh, do something either that they would consider too liberal they they've got a lawsuit going so they love using legal challenges and so we thought it was really fun to kind of smack them back in their own right. uh, dial but it. it is it's distressing because okay so think about it we have 178 school districts in colorado so if you come from a small school district that didn't offer sex education you've arrived on your college campus you don't have all the information you see all these bus benches and banners and you open your student resource guide and it says the resource center is here and everything is free and you go in and you get this misleading information uh, it's really uh, very upsetting to think about someone losing access to reproductive rights before they even know what they are right. because they haven't been given the information and they haven't learned what just even what the options are, how to prevent pregnancy if that is the issue that they're facing. Um, but it's 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 a sad state and it's something that we need to continue to really speak out against. I also do want to touch yeah. on um, comprehensive sex education, because I feel like, again, if we're going back to, if we're being honest about wanting to prevent unwanted pregnancies so that we can prevent abortions, if that's really something that you care about, I feel like this is an issue that we could get on board, right? Like everybody should be like, okay, if you wanna prevent pregnancy, let's talk about how to prevent pregnancy, right? Um, I remember when I was in junior high there was a man who came to my classroom and he did the um, duct tape thing, right? Where he like takes this piece of duct tape and you put it, like tape it to itself, right? And then tear it apart and tape it to itself and tear it apart. And basically tell the women that like, you are a piece of duct tape. And if you have sex with more than one person, you're not gonna be sticky anymore and no one will love you. And that was my sex education in, in Fort Collins um, when I was a kid. <laughs> Luckily, my mom was great, and so, like, yeah. I knew I had the birds and the bees talk, but 
I just was thinking about like the kids in that class that that's the only sex education that they may have gotten like how first of all damaging and toxic it is but also just I didn't learn anything about how sex works or STDs consent or, or STDs yeah. or pregnancy or anything it was just this guy with duct tape telling me that I would not be lovable if I ever had sex before marriage. Do these people do this and think that kids will absorb that and then, like, live this chase life and abstain, like, till their wedding night? Like, is that something they really think is going to happen? They do, and the evidence shows it's not true, Obviously, right? it's not true, yeah. Yeah, they have higher rates of STDs in absence-only schools. And pregnancies, yeah. yeah unwanted pregnancies and the duct tape thing that's still being done in schools i have a lot of um, interns that i've talked to have went through that sex ed in um their school and i had one one student had told me she went through that type of sex ed and it said you know that a man wouldn't love you and that whole spiel and she said her father had just left their family and it was super traumatizing for her to hear something like that um, and one of the things that people don't realize, the sex ed bill that was ran last year and all the controversy around it and those groups coming in, one of the things is because these fake clinics, like the one in Greeley, um, they teach, we were talking about, they teach the sex ed there, and they wouldn't be allowed to do that. So they were fighting against it because then they were worried about being barred from the classroom and going in and doing these harmful lessons. But that's like their goal to be in there and trying to convince you that abstinence only is the only way <laughs> and like, to be. It doesn't make any sense, but you, somebody said earlier that they, these groups are providing some benefit to the schools for being allowed to teach this sex ed. What does that mm -hmm. look like? So um, we, w in the research that we did, what we understood is they will sometimes bring, like they'll bring lunch for the staff or they'll bring us mm -hmm. an honorarium or they'll bring some funding that comes with the curriculum, which allows for classroom resources, that yeah. sort of thing. No conflict so, of interest there. Exactly, exactly. Well, and I'll tell you, um, I've been around a while. Um, my first year out of college, my very first letter to the editor was about keeping comprehensive sex ed in Massachusetts, before, it was 1989. And I will say that the fact that we're still fighting about sex education at this stage is just terrifying. I mean, right. Why? Right. Why haven't we figured out how to move forward? Um, and, you know, the other thing, just given the um, your podcast and your audience, is that one thing we see is that each of the generations that's looking at this has a very different perspective about access, right? We we have a lot of people who uh, get involved in our work because they were pre-Varoe v. Wade and they experienced mm -hmm. abortion when it was um, illegal and they had friends that needed to go to Mexico or Europe or New York or a back alley. And then we have lots of people who always felt like it was accessible and available or they're not thinking that they need access to abortion so they don't think that everyone else does. So what we're always trying to figure out is, is sharing some of this information a way to help motivate and engage more people to really lean in and help us in this moment. Um, but I'm curious what you see, because you've, you talk about this on some of your, um, I've listened to some of your podcasts, and I'm just curious. Uh, this is, has been a recurring theme, but are there, you know, do you hear different priorities or different ways of thinking about abortion access or reproductive rights access that we should be thinking about differently? Um, I know, Justine, we grapple with this all the time. 
I, I think that I'm, so I'm 36, about to turn 37, and so I'm a millennial. Um, I do think that my generation um, largely took abortion access as a given, mm -hmm. that it was not a fight that I felt um, most of my peers, like we were all so pro-choice, everyone was pro-choice, it was just not a question. There would be like a couple of kids, right, who grew up in really religious backgrounds that would be um, anti-choice, but it wasn't really a question for us. And so I don't think it's a thing that a lot of us grappled with. Um, I, I think looking at it through a lens of um, body autonomy is the best way to get to my generation. So it's really about, um, and I don't think just in Colorado either. I sort of look at like the Satanic Temple um, and some of their work uh, about this and how they've really highlighted that like, it's really about bodily autonomy. It's really about, it doesn't matter what your opinion is about if it's a baby or if it's a fetus or if it's right. It's about, I'm a human being um, and I get to choose what happens to my body. And it's not a thing that the government should have a say in. And I think that's some of the work that the Satanic Temple has been doing around this um, and around like forced motherhood and um, just the notion of like bodily autonomy is something that I think is uh, effective in talking to people of my generation to get them to care. Absolutely. Yeah. When you're talking about men in that age cohort, though, it's a completely different story. Um, there's either there's either indifference to it or even among uh, men who consider themselves sort of progressive. Um, there's like, well, we should hear both sides of it. And, <laughs> you know, there's there's a, there's an honest debate to be had. And, you know, uh, um, not able being able to empathize with a woman in that situation. And of course, you know, reproductive rights are men should be just as concerned about that. You know, there is the prospect of fatherhood and child support and, and everything else that, that goes along with getting somebody pregnant. And, and yet still among, uh, you know, among my gender, it's like, eh, you know, it's not really our problem. Uh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Um, well, just think of how many men don't know how many abortions they've had. Right. 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 Yeah. Or just don't care or, you know, don't aren't involved in the process or, mm -hmm. you know, we, we hear some of these sensationalized stories where then they, you know, even if they're uh, even when it's a rape victim, the father tries, tries to get, tries to have get rights, and, you know. Uh, things like that but really uh, i've been go ahead i was gonna say i've been watching uh british mystery uh shows which are a little safer than some of the headlines and they nor they have normalized conversations about terminating pregnancy and some of these are 20 years old and it just makes you realize how our experience of abortion in the U.S. is really uh, is specific, I would say, that the yeah. way we think about it, the way we think about re reproductive rights. If you look at uh, some countries that they are far better and others are, you know, worse and on the path that we are, that some of our um, opposition is trying to take us toward, which is 
scary and it's something that that's part of why I get up and do this every day and that's part of why our organization has actually been growing uh, in the face of increased um, threats and attacks and the Supreme Court being the biggest one. I mean, that's the thing that uh, I think probably keeps us all up at night. I think if if it really if they really overturn Roe, um, it would be such a shock to the system, I think, for so many people who've taken it for granted for so long um, that I do I do think that people will I, I just think there will be riots right I just think that that's just not a thing that we're willing to go back to is just like back alley abortions and forced motherhood and yeah. like that's just not a th- I just think if we would hope so I would hope but, the, but I we, hope we don't get there we've talked about that the, the flip side of that is look at what they did to get this guy on the court I know and how hard they've worked and and it's like now they're saying we're not going back I know so yes and and I, I mean think in part that, the entire Trump presidency is is a result of wanting to get the Supreme Court to do exactly what it looks like now yeah yeah that was like the reason evangelicals supported him even though he's a philandering rapist um, and why they put Kavanaugh, a rapist, on the Supreme Court. And Pence mm-hmm. was just like a cherry on top. Right. Even though they twisted that, you know, we don't have to go back to those awful hearings. No. But yeah, we don't we don't know what's going to happen. It, it could very well be that the Roberts Court says, "Ooh, we're not going to, you know, touch this in an election year," uh, or it could very well be like, "No, this no, is this is why timing. we're here. We yep. have to do our jobs. Yep. Come hell or high water, yep. and we have to be ready for those possibilities." I think. Outside of this conversation, I think most most people don't realize even that's a possibility until it would happen. Yeah, I think that's right. Like, so go, go what, do you, what do you do if it does happen? Sorry, I was saying. Go ahead. Go ahead, Justine. Um, I was just still commenting on like the conversation with people like really don't feel like Roe can go away. And that's not the reality, you know. I don't, I don't know what we do if it if it falls. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think people will. I think what I'm seeing is that when I started this position um, back in 2013, and Justine started in 2014, we still had supporters saying, you know, gosh, this is always important to me, but. But, you know, Roe will never be overturned. I mean, that there's always been this sort of, oh, you know, we we like your issue, but we don't really think that this could happen. I think that that wake-up call is already starting. I think it really started with Kavanaugh. I remember last um, last summer, we someone did a house party and attend, an attendee brought her young daughter, who was still in high school, who had obsessively watched the Kavanaugh hearings and was so incensed that she wanted to get engaged. So I do think that they will... We are the silent majority. We have been the silent majority. I think that that's, you know, the polls show us where people's values are, but a lot of people don't feel uh, up to the, I'm going to go out on the streets. I mean, look at the Women's March the first year compared to the third year, right? That the first year, that was the, I would kind of like the everyday activists stepping up and saying, oh my goodness, this is where we are. I think that 
that we will see a, a wave like that if they truly um, eliminate it. And I think we're already starting to hear from people who we haven't heard from in a while who kind of thought, as I said, that they could you know, feel like reproductive rights was in an okay place and now I can turn my attention to this other issue over here. When without this fundamental right, we don't have uh, – all of the other things are in peril as well. Right. Women can't have – you know, economic justice or equality without reproductive care, right? We are not able to be fully formed human beings with equality if we don't have the basic right to autonomy over our own bodies. There's nothing that any senator can do in terms of economic equality um, that saves me from having an unwanted pregnancy that I have to carry to term and a child that I have to raise. That mm -hmm. fundamentally affects my equality as a human being. And, and, and more so even the right to be a sexual being and control mm -hmm. whether or not right. you get pregnant. Right. They, that, that, they don't even want you to have that right. No, no. Let alone no. You know, <laughs> taking a child to term. So that's what we're up against. Um, as we sort of wind down here, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that we were uh, introduced or brought together by my uh, good friend and musical colleague, uh, Megan Kelly. Who knows? Uh, who knows Jamie, your colleague, and uh, we are uh, my band. Married a Dead Man is involved in something uh, here locally in the Denver area called Bands Against the Ban, uh, where we uh, had uh, a fundraiser uh, show at the Oriental Theater locally that raised over sixteen hundred dollars for uh, Planned Parenthood of the Rockies and and, and other groups that were uh, sponsored and involved. And we want to do more stuff uh, like that. So, you know, definitely let's be in touch. And back when we're in a place in the world where we can do things like have events and concerts and um, and and are there any other uh, sort of fundraising things or. Yeah. How can it, how can our listeners help you guys? Where can they donate? How do we help? Uh, so you can check out our website at cobaltadvocates.org. And right now, one of the things we're focusing on is our abortion fund. We have, uh, we typically have um, a match right now uh, from a national partner that didn't happen. So we are scrambling to bring in as much as we can here in the month of April. And every dollar you donate will be counted twice, uh, which is great. We also have a wish list of practical things. And then, you know, there are lots of ways to get involved. So we love uh, if you will do a letter to the editor, if you will come and testify, if you will sign up and let us know where you are, host a, host a virtual house party. And we're doing a webinar series right now, which has been terrific. So if you're stuck at home, uh, it's every other Monday at noon. And this coming Monday, we have Dr. Warren Hearn, who is one of the uh, doctors providing abortion care here in Colorado and really kind of legendary. And it would be great to tune into that. Um, and Justine, why don't you talk a little bit more about some of the activist uh, engagement opportunities? Yeah, I mean, if I'm always open for um, anybody who wants to contact me to work on some of our activist engagement. A lot of times we'll have issues pop up in the state that we don't know about things going on with local hospitals or people having a hard time accessing services. And we're just able to help um, people where they are being able to access the resources they need or fight the battles that they need to fight in their communities. So we're always happy to bring you in, get you in where you fit in. Um, if you've never testified before, you know, I'm always happy to sit down with you and help 
write out testimony, um, how to organize events in your own community. Um, so we have people who are active on the ground throughout the state who are leading these efforts um, with us. And they're you know, responsible for their community and for helping to push this issue. So that's one of the big things that I always try to just remain as accessible as possible for people to really show them that your government is accessible if you know how to get in there and we're happy to help you and show you how to do that. That's awesome. And as a reminder, even if you don't live in Colorado, lots of folks are coming to Colorado to access abortion care from other states. So this can be a nationwide effort to sort of help this organization to help women um, and people who can get pregnant all over the country to access the care that they might not otherwise be able to afford. Um, and the final thing I'll say is talk about abortion. If you know someone who's had a story, if you know someone you have helped, um, normalizing it by talking about it helps destigmatize it, which makes it easier for us to help all of those people out there who don't have the information and think they're the only one faced with this decision. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Super um, appreciate you guys taking the time. Yeah, down the line as certain things unfold, we would be super glad to have you back on, um, talk about more stuff, and, and hopefully we'll be able to do more endeavors like the, uh, the Bands Against the Band thing uh, and work with you guys. Looking forward to that. Um, thanks, thanks again so much, Karen Middleton and Justine Sandoval. Uh, we will tag... Oh, Cobalt, and the website again is cobaltadvocates.org. Yes. We will have all that information when we post it, uh, of course. Um, I have been Travis. I'm Rachel. Uh, stay active, stay tuned, stay involved. Of course, next week, more coronavirus updates and stuff. You can find all that information on our Twitter at Reverend Duo, Reverend Testimony at gmail.com. Stay active, stay tuned, stay involved. We will see you next week. Bye.